Now we've been doing a series on God's kingdom. What is it? What's the part that we play in it? And why it's so important to talk about it in this current season as well. So I'm going to continue with that. And today's title is God's kingdom, a kingdom of relationship instead of rules. Now I wonder what's conjured up in your mind when you start to think about a kingdom of relationships. Well, hopefully it will go something along what we're going to cover today. Um, let's see how we get on. We're going to be focused particularly on the book of Romans, especially around chapter 14. But as is my want, we're going to dot around a wee bit and we'll add some extras in here and there. I should say for those of you that don't know me, my name's Catherine and um, one of the things I get to do is head up the healing team as well um, and just want to take this chance whilst I can to invite you to join us. We, we regularly do live healing prayer times on uh, Facebook on our page Hope Church Glasgow at 11.30 on a Sunday and it would be great to have you there. We're seeing some really exciting stuff come out of that and it'd be good to see even more of that as well. So let's look at God's kingdom then. So my original starting point for this was chapter 14, verse 17. And it says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Um, so how are we going to approach this? I'm going to firstly give us a bit of context. So Who's this being sent to? Why is it being said? And then I'm going to explore a little bit about how I believe this verse connects to this notion of a kingdom of relationships and what I think we need to do in response to that as well. Um, whenever we're reading God's word, let's remember, I mean, I'm, I'm a passionate one for seeking out new knowledge and information. I love it. And the problem is, is that knowledge doesn't necessarily do a lot. It just fills our head. What we want to do is make sure that it also fuels our actions. So that's where we're heading for today. Now, when it comes to the church, when it comes to um, a body of people together, I am really passionate about it. Um, now, when I was growing up, um, I was grew up in a family of four of us, me and my brother, my mum and dad. And um, where we lived didn't happen to be anywhere near our extended family. So although my mum and dad come from big families, I didn't actually get to see sort of my biological family, if you like, very often. Um, and I used to feel a bit jealous at times of some of my friends. I used to walk home with a friend from school and every day I'd drop her off at her grandparents. And I'd feel a bit sad that wasn't me. And yet actually, in truth, I've grown up with one of the biggest families going um, because I grew up in the church. And in fact, I grew up with an absolute ton of aunties and uncles. And if you are of a certain generation, you do know that any adult older than you is your auntie and your uncle. And certainly when I was growing up as well, they also had the same level of authority over you. If they were closest, they dealt with it. But you know what? It was incredible. I had friends to play with. I had pals of our family who would babysit. I had youth leaders who helped to shape me. I, these were all connections and relationships that I benefited from as a child, as a teen, and then as an adult even today. And it's really, I suppose, from there that my fuel and my interest comes and when it comes to relationships and the kingdom of God. So let's get stuck into this verse then. Give it a bit of context. Paul is writing to, now this may shock you, but it's the church in Rome. Losing the title. Um, however, who was in that church? 
You've got a mixture of people. You've got Jewish converts and you've got Gentile converts to Christianity. So you've got a bunch of people who have come into the church, come into Christianity with a whole heap of heritage and practices, ways of living that are based on a very, very deep set, fundamental set of rules and obligations about how you live life according in terms of wanting to be acceptable to God. So you've got that Jewish heritage. You've also got the Gentile heritage. So they don't come with nothing. Now, if they've been brought up in Rome, they've been brought up in a culture that is full of idol worship. So different gods, but they've had this notion of worship. They've had this notion of certain ways of living um, that are appropriate and seen as normal. So you've got these two cultures coming into one church. And surprisingly, they've got some discussions around it. Some of them maybe not as healthy as others, but certainly taking up their time. Um, now, Paul's letter to them, we can divide roughly into two parts. Now, the second part focuses more on living their lives together. And that's the bit we're going to be more interested in. But the first part that is also important for us as well covers the gift of salvation. Now, I'm not saying that Paul can go on a bit, but... In a letter that we now divide into 16 chapters, 11 of them are spent on the gift of salvation. To be slightly cheeky, I'm going to sum it up in two verses from chapter 3. And he says this, verse 20 and verse 25, he says, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. And then people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. Now, as I've said, Paul goes into a fair bit of detail to explain all of that, but he's trying to make a massive point that he needs them to be grounded in. So he's maybe not so wrong in spending a long time on it, especially when you realise that the reshaping he's having to do of some of their mindsets. He's having to be clear with them. Their salvation, where they are with God, is now absolutely and utterly due to an act of faith that has invited God's grace in. And that's it. Following laws and rules is no longer the order of the day. It is no value to them whatsoever. So that brings us nicely to our verse in chapter 14. And if you remember it, at the very beginning, it says this. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but... Okay, so let's stop there for a moment. What was the issue with food and drink that was becoming the debate? Well, it was one of a couple of debates that were going on. Food, drink, what should be deemed as a holy day or not. Let me give you an example about how some of the discussions were going. So Paul sets these out earlier in chapter 14 and says this. Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't, and those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. And then if we jump a bit further ahead into verse 6, those who eat any kind of food do so to honour the Lord since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. 
Paul's talks a little bit further then as well about conviction, about acting out of our convictions before God and that that being what is required. So when Paul says that heaven's kingdom's not about eating and drinking, what he's really trying to sum up is that they need to stop looking for rules and stop spending their energy fighting over rules that God hasn't made and that God doesn't want. Instead, Paul is now introducing them to a kingdom culture and a set of values that are very different to anything they've been used to before. And this is where we start getting into the really interesting stuff. Now, you'd think that a life free of rules was going to be easy street. But Paul's about to hit them with a slightly bigger challenge. So, salvation was the first part of their journey into the kingdom. That was the doorway in, if you like. Now he's saying they need to start adjusting to a way of life that isn't about ticking boxes, isn't about striving to be good enough, isn't about comparison, competition, or self-determination, if you like. Salvation did come to them by a personal choice. You can't get around that. But life in the kingdom of heaven is now going to mean taking their eyes off former things and onto a brand new way of living. Now, right at the start of our series, if you're paying attention, if you, if you can't remember, there's a really good podcast series you can go back to. Thoroughly recommend it. And Andy, though, in that first session, gave us three perspectives on what the kingdom is like. He said, first of all, it's the realm of the unhindered will of God. Second, it's the realm of the unhindered work of the Holy Spirit. And finally, thirdly, it's the manifestation of the Father heart of God. So what does that mean God's people need to be doing in this kingdom? Well, we know it's not obeying a whole lot of rules. We've covered that. Instead, Paul gives them three things. He says, heaven's way looks like living a life filled with goodness and peace and joy. So instead of rules, Paul's talking about attitudes and behaviours. Instead of focusing on things they must or must not do, he's now saying, whatever you do, they need to be delivered through a kingdom filter which is called goodness, peace, and joy. And that's the complicated bit. Because rules can be complex, they can be onerous at times, but actually, they're the easy route when it comes to living life. I pick A, not B. I go left, not right. I do that thing, not the other. My choice, my will, my brain don't have to come into it. And as long as I follow the rules, I hope to get a pat on the head, a well done, and if I'm lucky, a nice gold star at the end of it all. But Paul said, no, that's not what's going to cut it any longer. God isn't looking for your ability to obey the rules. He's looking for your attitude to come in line with a culture, his culture and his ways. Now, I think it's interesting, though, that we ought to mention that this, this concept of what God is looking for isn't new. He's not introducing them to a new covenant, New Testament, post-resurrection way of living. In fact, if we spend any time in the Old Testament, you find it littered with examples of what God has always wanted. Now, if you go back to one of my absolute favourite bits, which is Genesis, and you go back to the Garden of Eden... What you get to see there is a God who was looking for relationship. A God who created mankind, humankind in his own image, anticipating the joy of being in connection with them. You know, one of my favorite images 
is of God walking in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. You know, you get that mention just before we know things have fallen apart. But God's come to the garden ready and expecting that. You get that sense that that was a habit. That's how they spent their time. So God's always been looking for that. And you can find plenty of other verses. 1 Samuel 15. To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. Jeremiah 7. For when I brought your ancestors out of Egypt and spoke to them, I did not just give them commands about burnt offerings and sacrifices, but I gave them this command. Obey me and I will be your God and you will be my people. Walk in obedience to all I command you that it may go well with you. Law and sacrifices were elements on the journey to salvation. Never, ever were they the goal, the solution or God's choice for um, a kingdom that rules the earth. He's looking for a heart and attitude that's turned towards him. Rules say we can follow instructions. Attitudes tell us the real seat of a person's desires, where their affection and devotion is truly focused. So what is this kingdom attitude that we need to have to infiltrate our way of living? Well, let me go a bit further in Romans 14. It says in verse 20, don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but, he likes that word, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. And then chapter 15, verse 2, we should help others to do what is right and build them up in the Lord. In other words, when we're living from the perspective of God's ways, we're first of all to act out of conviction of God what wants us to do, out of a place of freedom as well within all of that. But secondly, our actions, our choices are never to cause somebody else to weaken or lose their faith. Instead, our choices should be made in a way that strengthens other people's faith and helps them to grow and have greater influence in the kingdom. And so then we've got to the real nub of the matter here. God's kingdom is all about relationship. It started with the restoration of our relationship with God. And that is in itself truly glorious and worthy of our best and our fullest devotion to God. But it isn't where God wants us to stop. It isn't the whole thing that he's got planned for us. He's got even more. If it's possible that there could be more once you've got that with God. But there is. Jesus said in Matthew 18, I will build my church. Now you can unpack plenty of that. But actually there's a lot within those few words. In other words, I will build my assembly. I will gather my people in. He's talking about a collective when we enter into his kingdom through the grace of salvation, we become part of something bigger than ourselves. And that was always God's purpose and plan. So we saw in chapter 14, verse 17, it said we've got this life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit to live out. And it then goes on into verse 18. If you serve Christ with this attitude, so with those things on display, you will please God. That's it. You will please God. And others will approve of you too. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. 
there's a lot you can get from that. Number one. It is that living, it's that attitude, that way, that's what pleases God. That is the sweet incense that he wants to fill his temple. Secondly, we're seeing that harmony is a massive part of kingdom living. And I'll come on to that a bit more in a moment. But thirdly, there is this underlying assumption that we really need to pay attention to, I think. There's a message that underpins all of it that isn't stated because it's assumed we know it. And it's that you can't live out a life of good works and peace and joy to other people if you're not connected to them. I mean, it's, it is obvious in its sense, but you know, when God says, I'll build my church, and when he says you're supposed to live in a specific way and build each other up, it means we've got to be connected. You can't do it in isolation. And that's it. We're meant to live out our Christian life, our devotion to God in relationship, in community. It's not meant to be lived in isolation. It's meant to be lived alongside other people who can build us up and who we can likewise strengthen and encourage and build up their faith too. I want to be able to give some examples of the three things that Paul has talked about here. Because goodness, peace and joy, in some respects on a face value, they're logical, they're words we're familiar with. But I want us to really, because we've said that, you know, reading God's word isn't just about knowledge, it's about actions. I just want to talk about a few things as to what that looks like in practice. So goodness. Acts of goodness are those that are done out of genuine love for the other person seeking their best at all times. Now, Jesus taught us to love one another as we love ourselves. So that means honouring, respecting, even if we don't always agree. It means sharing what we have with those around us, making sure everyone's needs are met. It means speaking kindly and with good intention, even when we have to say difficult things. It means, as Paul also says, in these chapters about not just pleasing ourselves but making choices that positively affect others. During lockdown I know we've all had challenges, we've all had difficulties and it's not been easy for everybody, everybody has got their own stories, I know that. I have been so blessed by acts of goodness in that time. Um, like many people, work was a bit of a challenge. I'm self-employed, so work is always a little bit, well, let's see what happens. And God is gracious and it always works out. But as we got into another round of lockdown, as things all changed, the work got quieter and quieter until it became clear that actually there was going to come a point when I was going to need to start pulling on my savings. Now, hey, I'm already grateful that there was some to pull on. But it wasn't ideal because you're not quite sure when that's going to end. And then I get the first friend who comes along and says, actually, I really believe in the work you're doing. I want to sow into it as a living legacy. Here's some money. And then I get somebody else who's close to me who says, um, well, you know, I've got some here. Why don't you do have, have a bit of money? My phone pings and somebody's dropped some money in my account. Another friend says, I'm praying about it. I believe God said you should have this money. And then another couple 
phoned me up and said, we've been praying about it and we should believe you should have this. It's not much. Was in my world. But those were acts of goodness. People that were going out of their way, some of them very sacrificially, to be able to bless me. In terms of seeing people showing love to one another, I I watched a friend curate a conversation around politics on his Facebook page. And somehow he managed to role model a way of conversing about a very contentious subject that others then followed. That is an act of goodness, being able to have difficult conversations, but do it really well. What about joy then? Well, joy is an interesting one, isn't it? Because we do associate with an emotion. But Paul says in Romans 5 verse 11, so now we can rejoice in our wonderful relationship with God, our wonderful new relationship with God, because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Joy is actually an active and intentional response to God's love and actions towards us, seen as his free gift of grace and salvation. In relationship with others, it means spending time reminding one another of that gift, of that goodness, to help build up one another in joy and strength, knowing that the truth of our eternal situation is secure and glorious, even when we're going through seasons of trial and difficulty. And then finally, peace. Well, we've already seen in verse 19 of chapter 14 about harmony. God's salvation has meant that we are now at peace with God. And in this case, I believe peace really relates to unity. We've been united with God. And it's his desire that we are the same with one another, that we live at peace, that we live in unity with one another. Unity doesn't always mean agreement. does always mean that we believe exactly the same things and want to do things the same way. But it is something we do need to work at. We are in right relationship with God. And we're to imitate this also in our relationships with one another. Before we just come to try and bring this all together, I wanted to share one last story of of how people living out this kingdom living, this way of behaving, really made such a difference in my life. And why I think it's so important. I moved to university when I was 20. And... Very long story short, the year before had been really tough. Getting to uni was a massive step, but it was also a massive upheaval. And in reality, I didn't handle it well. And I was a bit of a pretty mess. Thankfully, in the midst of my life kind of falling apart all over the place and just behaving in ways that really weren't helpful to me, I wasn't an absolute catastrophe, but it wasn't great. I had connected with the Christian Union. I was a Christian before going to uni, but I connected with this Christian Union and I made many great friendships there. But two women, Billy and Claire, well, they opened up their home and their lives to me. And when things were falling apart for me, when I was struggling to find peace and joy, they let me live in their overflow. They fed me at times. They pulled out a mattress from under the bed and loaned me some pajamas and gave me a bed for the night and really just were family for me. And I am so thankful for their encouragement, for their love, for their strength, for their role model of Christian living, actually, that I believe is one of the major things that helped me stay connected to God at that time. Theirs was a kingdom of relationships in action. And I believe that's what we are all called to. Now, just there's one little bit of the verse that I've not touched on yet that's really important. 
because when we're called to action, we need to know that we're not having to do it alone. The very end of the verse says, goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Or if you read the good news translation, it helps a bit more. Provided by the Holy Spirit. We're not supposed to try and muster up the strength to be able to do all of this on our own. God knows we can't. And so instead, we're supposed to be living out of the strength and wisdom given by the Holy Spirit living in us, renewing our minds and therefore also our actions so that we can fulfill God's desires for his people within the kingdom. So let's pull all of this together. Because Paul's instructions stand as true for us today as they did for the original church in Rome. We're to live our lives in such a way that those around us in the church become stronger in their faith, become even greater at living out this kingdom in their own lives. And so that we too also benefit from their encouragement, from their wisdom, from their teachings, from their redirection when we start to go astray. But underpinning all of this is the assumption that we know we're supposed to be in community. And that's not easy. It can be easier to avoid than to engage with at times because it comes at a cost. And God knows that. So he gave us the Holy Spirit to help us with it. So these are the three keys that we're going to take away today. Number one, living a kingdom life means dropping our desire for easy street with the rules and compliance and instead living a life that pleases God. Two, living a kingdom life that pleases God means prioritizing relationship and unity with other believers so that we can all become stronger in our faith. And three, living a kingdom life that pleases God is possible through the Holy Spirit who equips us for acts of goodness and peace and joy. I think there's an opportunity for all of us in this season of transition in how we connect with one another in the church. There's an opportunity for us individually to ask the Holy Spirit for, relate, for wisdom around relationships he wants us to prioritize, as well as the strength and grace we need to both give and receive goodness and peace and love from and joy from each other. So bless you guys.